Hi everyone, and welcome back to the Hockey Journey Podcast, episode number 44, The Larry Olam Hockey Journey, presented to you by OnlineHockeyTraining.com. I'm your host, Coach Lance Pedlick. If you're new here, please make sure you subscribe so you won't miss out on any future episodes. Before we drop a line in the water and start the conversation, if you want to learn more about me, my hockey experiences, what I know, and most importantly, how I've been helping hockey players get really good with a stick and puck, just head on over to OnlineHockeyTraining.com and gain instant access to my 10-part video series where I'll show you everything. Consider it my gift to you. Super excited to have my next guest, Larry Olam, on the show, as we were former teammates at the University of Minnesota, where I was privileged to see this guy operate on a daily basis and witness greatness in the making. This guy made hockey look effortless. A War Road, Minnesota native, Mr. Olam made a name for himself as he climbed the youth hockey ladder as someone that can control a game and seemingly score at will. By the time he graduated from this small high school in northern Minnesota, he would lead the Warriors to two state tournament appearances and was awarded Mr. Hockey his senior year, which goes to the top male high school hockey player in the state of Minnesota. In 1987, he was drafted by the hometown Minnesota North Stars in the 10th round, 193rd overall. In 1988, Larry would move down to the Twin Cities and begin his college career at the University of Minnesota, where he continued to show his dominance, putting up 24 goals, 56 assists for 80 points in his final college season. When his four years at the U came to an end, he ended up becoming the Gophers' all-time assist leader, surpassing the legendary John Mayasich. Mr. Olam had a professional career that lasted three years before retiring from the sport. He's married, a father of three, in the real estate game, and, most recently, was announced as the new coach for the Orono High School girls hockey team. Shout out to the Spartan girls. So we have a lot to chat about. Ladies and gentlemen, please help me in welcoming Larry Olin to the show. Big O, welcome to the Hockey Journey Podcast. Yeah, thank you, Lance. I'm excited to be here. This is awesome. Well, I know you've had a busy week with uh, your new coaching uh, assignment that you've accepted over at Orono, and uh, I'm sure that you've been having to deal with, uh, well, I heard you on a pod, Youth Hockey Hubs podcast uh, the other day, and I'm sure you had some other interviews, but congratulations on that. Uh, before we get rocking, how's Carla and the kids, Nathan, Jackson, Biz, all doing good? They are all doing good, yeah. Um, thanks for asking. They, uh, yeah, they're, they're excited for me and for this opportunity with the Orono girls and, and uh, yeah, enjoying the summer. And it's been a good one. You going anywhere for the 4th? Uh, we are not. We're going to stick around town here and enjoy all the, the local festivities that we can and get some ice cream and watch some fireworks. All right. Well, that sounds like a pretty solid weekend. So like I do with all former players, uh, Big O, uh, I want to take a few steps backwards. Well, actually, a lot of steps backwards. Uh, we're not young spring chickens anymore. Uh, but let's go back in time and tell the listeners what your childhood was like, uh, where you grew up, uh, your introduction to hockey and other sports, your parents, brothers, sisters, brothers. I guess give us a snapshot of what it was like growing up, Larry Olin. Yeah, well, I was fortunate to grow up in Warroad. Um, Two older brothers and an older sister. Uh, they are all quite a bit older um, than me. My sister was was 
five and a half years older. My brother's eight and nine. So, um, you know, as a young kid, I spent a lot of time with, with my buddies and, and friends and yeah, from a hockey perspective, um, yeah, I was a block away from Cal Marvin and, uh, and Cal's 12 kids. Okay. Hold on. Uh, Hold on. Uh, Marvin's that that's a pretty big name up there. Just give a quick little, uh, snapshot of, you know, background on them, how important they are to that community up there and then continue, please go on. Yeah, well, the Marvins are world. World exists for the Mar because of of the Marvin family and their business, the Windows uh, business that has been around for generations and is still around. And so they've been so good to the community. Um, so that that's that's really one side of it. Uh, Lance is is the uh, the window company that keeps World rocking and rolling and then the other big part of it is specifically cal marvin so one of the i guess it'd be the cal would be second generation i believe um he and his brothers and sisters but cal really never got into the, the window business cal was into the hockey business and ran a resort and guide service in the summer and ran the world lakers for 50 years and just a little history. Before that, in the 50s, Cal and a, a couple buddies started the hockey program at the University of North Dakota. Um, so there is a long tradition of, of hockey in Warroad. So Cal and Bill and Roger Christian are a couple big names that people know from the 1960 Olympics. Um, and several other, um, Dan McKinnon played in 56, and uh, Gordy Christian played in 56. So they're and a lot of the local people really got uh, warrowed into hockey, you know, in the 50s and 60s and, and obviously still is today. So I was really fortunate uh, to grow up in warrowed and a block from Cal. And Cal, like I said, I had 12 kids and the youngest uh, was in my grade, Randy, and a grade ahead of us was, was her brother, Izzy Marvin. So Izzy and I grew up, I learned to play hockey on his outdoor rink with, with him and a few other friends and literally one block away and we had uh, the alley uh, still to this day is a gravel alley and I I would put my skates on at home skate down the alley uh, <laughs> and hop on the ring hop on the outdoor uh, rink and just play play for hours you know and and uh, that was where we learned and how I learned and young you know five six seven years old that's where we spent our time um, and then when when I got into squirts and peewees, you know, the truth is we talk about, you know, the old days and outdoor rinks and which is a lot of truth to that. And a lot of people our age had to do a lot of that. But in Warroad, by the time I was a peewee, we got a second indoor ice sheet thanks to uh, the, all the local people that uh, are just passionate about the sport. So. And this is before girls hockey. We had a senior team. We had varsity, JV, Bantams, Peewees, and Squirts, you know, and Mites on the weekends. And we had two indoor ice sheets. Well, let me, just, uh, let me just interrupt you, too. Unbelievable. You, you got two indoor ice sheets, but just uh, tell everyone what the population of War Road, Minnesota is. Yeah. Well, yeah. No, good point, good question, because, yeah, it doesn't mean a lot when uh, until I tell you that Warroad has 1,700 people. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I had I graduated with 60 kids in my class, 
Um, and it, Warroad has grown a little bit, but I think they're still, you know, around 90, um, maybe in a graduating class today. But all, you know, at, at that time in 1988, when I graduated high school, you know, Warroad was getting kind of bigger, if you will. Um, and that means we had 60 kids. So, um, so thirty, you know, approximately thirty boys, right? In each in each grade, and we had uh, we had two rinks, so there was a lot of opportunity to skate. And um, you know, of course, at that time, as as you know, uh, we didn't when we were young, we didn't skate year round. It was just in the winter. But from you know October until the end of March into April, we had a lot of we skated, you know, every day and had the opportunity to be inside every day and. So I, I learned um, hockey, and from with my friends and with all the the people, and you know it was it was back, you know, and I think it's still this way today. I look forward to getting back with the girls in, in high school hockey because as squirts, every one of us, right? We we looked up to the high school kids. You know, I I know we can watch TV and and see college and NHL, but it's fun to it's still fun to the for, for the younger kids to go watch the high school kids. And we all grew up in our communities, uh, you know, hoping someday and dreaming and, uh, about being on the high school team and, and ultimately playing in a state tournament. But, um, so yeah, I grew up, uh, with a, a small group of, of good athletes. So I was fortunate to, um, you know, be a multi-sport guy. I know you were too. And I know people still are but it's harder today but yeah at that time it was uh and it was necessary right to have multiple sports we <laughs> with 60 kids in my class we couldn't have many sports if you didn't play multiple <laughs> so i would say i would say everyone played uh two for sure and most of us played three you know it was football hockey and baseball um we had a couple good golfers and um uh, so we, you know, and, and it was the same guys and that was, that's, that was the beauty of Warroad. And, and for me growing up in the small town is, is you grew up with the same guys, you played the same, pretty much the same guys, squirts, peewees, bantams, high school, um, high school, it, it expanded a little bit because you had more than just two years, but yeah, so we had, um, in Warroad, the one thing I love, uh, Lance and, and, for a lot of the years, and, and my coaches were the same guys coaching at the Squirt Peewee Bantam level with without kids. Like Ron Ron Tweet was my Squirt coach. A Warroad grew up in Warroad and uh, gave back to the community for years and years. A school teacher and and coached the Squirt team. And like I said, without a kid on the team. And Peewees was uh, mentioned the Marvins. There's a lot of them. Mike Marvin was our Peewee coach. Um, Mike's, you'd know Mike, a lot of people know Mike is, uh, Gigi is, is Mike's, uh, daughter, yeah. who is, uh, obviously an Olympian and gopher and, and his yeah, son, uh, yeah, yeah, his son, uh, is a good hockey player too, played at, uh, St. Cloud, but Mike, Mike coached the Peewees for years and years, and, uh, then Billy Christian, was our Bantam coach, and Bill was mentioned the 1960 Olympic gold medalist. <laughs> um, so it was like I tell people, you know, 
not that I I should be because I I shouldn't be, but it's it's impossible to be uh, cocky growing up in Warroad and thinking you're <laughs> you're something special because you know here's my Bantam coach at the time, uh, you know well still to this day right the the U.S. has won a gold medal twice. Um, 60 and 80 and you know it's changed now with the the nhl players but i know we're still searching for that that uh the third gold medal but it's kind of a cool uh story to think about warroad and the fact that you know we've won the olympics twice the, the men so you know there's approximately 40 men that have won a gold medal um, and three of them are from Warroad, Minnesota, population 1,700. <laughs> that, is um, just, that is crazy. Uh, I want to move up to Warroad right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's a special place. I love growing up there. And, and uh, you know, it's a lot of people don't realize how far it is from Minneapolis. Um, it's kind of funny. And you, you come down and. I've been here long enough now that I say Minneapolis or St. Paul or Bloomington or, you know, but for the first 20 years of my life, it was the Twin Cities. It was all the same. Right? I mean, it didn't matter if you were from, you know, if you were from Anoka or Burnsville or Minneapolis, you were from the Twin Cities as far as a person from Warroad. And, and what I learned coming down here is, you know, when uh, people think up north, and a lot of them think Brainerd, you know, or, yeah, or, yeah. you know, Detroit Lakes or Duluth and, and, you know, Grand Rapids. And it's like, well, they are up north, but Warroad is a long, still got a long way to go. You get to Grand <laughs> Rapids, we stop at Grand Rapids because you're halfway there. Oh, so man. those people who went to Grand Rapids, it's a, it's a special place, but it, it takes a while to get there and, um. But it's it was fun and yeah so so Bill as my Bantam coach um, you know and, and not many kids I was I was a forward in squirts and peewees and and Bill thought well uh, we don't have that many kids but if you play defense you could play even more you're on the ice even more so I think you sh you're a defenseman <laughs> so that's where I I started playing defense when I was a Bantam um, and and really stuck there. Bantams through high school and, you know, till I got to the U and, you know, we can, we talk about that too, but that was, that's how I became a defenseman. And, um, although I do like to take Danny Hendrickson, Darby's little brother, uh, he, he loves to ask me what position I played because, uh, you know, I obviously scored points, right? A lot of points in high school. And I used to, I would tell him, I said, I play Rover. <laughs> so they line up at defense but uh ultimately the goal is is two twofold right you want to prevent the other team but uh just as just as much i wanted to score so well yeah, i think was, I, I was pretty involved i think you had the mentality that uh i'll give up a couple because i know i'm gonna get three or four <laughs> you know uh, yeah, yeah, we weren't trying to win two. You're right. We weren't trying to win two to one. It yeah. was eight to six was just fine. <laughs> so let me ask you this, uh, because I had a 17-year 17, 17 coaching career at the youth level uh, with Wyzetta Youth Hockey, and then I helped out down at uh, Chaska with uh, Snuggy for a few years when my son went there. Um, 
through the years, like the early years, if we would play um, War Road, Grand Rapids, like you mentioned, Hermantown, uh, Rosso, all these different places up there, because, you know, you have relationship with guys and you're like, bring a team up, we'll come down next year, kind of like that. Uh, I always thought when I coached uh, one of those games that we were at a disadvantage right out of the gate because I always thought that the northern teams cared about the games uh, against city teams more than uh, the city kids cared about playing the northern kids. You know, I think that's a fair assessment. Um, and I, yeah, if it, it's probably still that way today. Um, but yeah, I, I, I would agree. And, and, for us, it probably didn't happen that often, and it, you know, when when uh, Wyzetta or Edina or you know Burns, whoever would would come up to war, it certainly wasn't a rival to go play a northern team. But I think the northern teams, we all had the same mentality that, you know, we want to show these. Like I said, it's Twin Cities, right? It didn't didn't matter which suburb you were from, you were all the, you were a city team, and and we wanted to prove that that we could play. Um, you know, hockey as well or better than, than the kids from the city. And, you know, as the years have gone, it's, it's become harder and harder just from a number standpoint. Um, you know, and, and, uh, but you're, I think you're right. I think we did have that mentality that we wanted to show the, the city team that, that we were better than they are. And there are, there's always, you know, there might be a couple dips, but like when you, you came through, uh, when Ness came through, I mean, you can just go back in time. There's always that special group that might have got beat up early, but by the time they get to high school, uh, they're at the state tournament and they're beaten. I mean, I, I always loved at the state tournament. I don't want to talk about that right now, but I always loved at the state tournament, uh, the high school state tournament, when a northern team would come down and uh, just win the thing. <laughs> Uh, it was awesome. So one thing that I want to touch on before we uh, I ask your next question is, uh, I, like I said, I had relationships with a lot of different coaches that were coaching at Squirts and Peewees and Bantams, uh, and we, we would uh, arrange weekends and stuff. And the one thing that is consistent with War Road and Rosso and Grand Rapids, which I think are the, the big three that people go up to, is that when I, if you take the time to go up there and play any of you guys, the hospitality is incredible. Uh, we'll have fierce competition, but then after uh, you'll go over and all the War Road families would put together a, you know, a potluck dinner and all the, the city kids and parents can go and have a beer and have some food. I mean... That's pretty special, and I, I'll, I'll always remember that about uh, those places up there, especially War Road and Rosso. Yeah, well, I, that that is special, and and uh, I think what happens is, you know, the people in War Road and Rosso, and they they appreciate the fact that you came up because, you know, like you said, most of those years uh, you were coaching in Wyzetta, so you certainly didn't have to make the trip. To war, I mean, you you got plenty of games in the cities, right, or wherever you know you didn't have to travel to Warroad. So I think Warroad and Rosa are are special in that way, and and the others would do the same thing too. But it's just an appreciation 
that you took the time and made the effort to come up up and play there because obviously they're doing it often right coming down to the cities and and they uh so they appreciate that and they're uh it's just it's such part of the culture in those towns it still is it has been forever but hockey is is part of the culture of the of the city and you know you'll you'll go to a, those high school hockey games and you know the people living in town have been going for years and years and it, it's not because their kids are playing right it's it's just because they love hockey and they love high school hockey and so yeah i think it's an appreciation for uh the teams to make that trip up there and um one funny story about traveling so you know when as you know you've been up there it's a it's a drive so all of our games are you know we play rozo that's a 20 minute 20 mile drive and that's the closest closest game and then you you know you could go over to to Badet was 36 miles and thief river falls was 80 miles um and and that was the, those were the close games right <laughs> so everything else was was further away um so there's a lot of travel and funny thing when I first started coaching uh high school down here you know every game was was 15 to 30 minutes away right and I mean it was just crazy and the best part and you'll appreciate this growing up where you did um because you had the same thing but at uh when I started with YZ um Armstrong and YZ shared the same rank Plymouth Ice Center so our girls in 2000, um, we played a home and away, home and away with uh, with Armstrong, and uh, it was in the same building. It's <laughs> <Just> different jerseys. Just <laughs> different jerseys, right? You would Color. have done that with with Cooper and Armstrong, I suppose, at New Hope Ice Rink. Right? Yeah, 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 absolutely. That's yeah. hilarious. So, uh, I did you ever coach with Chad Nelson? Because there's a Rosso story. What's the bar that Rosso? The the Legion or well, it's the it's the uh, yeah, it's the VFW. The VFW across, so, across the street from the rink. Yeah. Just to give uh, people that aren't from uh, our listeners that aren't from Minnesota, talk about the hospitality. So, a mutual friend of ours, Chad Nelson, is is uh, up there with the team. I'm not with him, but he told me he says it, we're at, we're at the VFW and Rosso, and it's like. 2.30 in the morning, and we can't drive, so we asked uh, for a cab, and they're like, well, there's no cabs. <laughs> right. <laughs> so uh, this, the bartender, you know, she said, uh, I'll get someone to drive you home. So uh, tells Chad and whoever was with him, said, uh, your ride's here, it's out front. Goes in there and gets in the car, and there, there's a... It's, it seems like a pretty young kid. So Chad, uh, he goes, how old are you? He goes, I'm 14. He says, do you have a license? He goes, I got a tractor license. <laughs> he says, I can get you guys home safe. And he took him home. <laughs> but that's the hospitality of those northern towns. And uh, uh, the great stories, great stories. Uh, yeah. So when, I, I know you were a multi-sport athlete and uh I think when you grow up there that you play other sports just because to kill time uh, until hockey season starts again. But when did you have that ignition moment when you decided you wanted to be a hockey player and see how good you could become? You know, um, 
that's a good question. I think it, it's one that it really didn't happen for me until I was quite a bit older. And, and at the time, you know, we just didn't have, we didn't have the, uh, the opportunities and the, and that they have today. So, you know, when I was a, when I was 14, 15 years old, um, you know, in Warroad, I suppose you might have had it here in the cities, but it wasn't like I could play in a hockey league in the fall or in the spring. Um, so my focus still at that time was well, football in the fall and baseball in the spring. And, and uh, you know, but we played so much hockey um, that, you know, you didn't have to do. I suppose I was, I think I was, I think I was 15 years old the first time I skated in the summer. Really? Uh, <laughs> yep. I got invited to a camp out in Colorado, and I thought, well, I better get ready for it. So I went to Bemidji to Bob Peters' famous hockey camp, and uh, yeah, wasn't went Murray, there for a few days. Wasn't Murray Williamson part of that as well? You know, I didn't know it at the time, but I think you're right. I think Dino's dad, Murray, was, was part of that and yeah. probably started it with Bob and yeah, so I did that once that summer and then went out to Colorado and um but after that then then we started we started to skate a little bit more in the summer but you know, we had I was t- saying before at uh in high school, we had the Lakers. So we I skated every day. We had practice every day after high school and even in the in the fall we we started skating, you know, in football season a little bit and then uh We'd have practice every day, and then uh, in high school, in the evening, we you know, you go home, you have dinner, uh, you know, some people would do homework, others of us would probably flip the TV on for a couple hours, and then we go back to the rink at 9 o'clock and skate with the Lakers, um, and, and their their practice was just a scrimmage, it was just shinny, pick up hockey, it was lights versus dark, up to five, as many games as you'd want to play. You know, sw- switch ends out and you get to five, and a lot of times there's no goalie, so you're hitting the posts. But those games were as intense as any any other games we played. I mean, it wasn't it wasn't big hitting, but like you know, if your team was at four or the other team was at four, you were doing everything in your power to uh, to prevent them from getting them to the fifth. <laughs> um, so we had so we just skated a lot. We just we got to play a lot. Um, and that's where that's where the passion for the game came from, and it was it was just fun, and, and you're playing with uh, you know older guys and younger guys, and and uh, you know you're you're just having a good time. I'd appreciate it if uh, you met my mom, Punky, and um, yep. uh, <clears throat> she doesn't know anything about the War Road Lakers, uh, so can you kind of give her an idea? Of, the importance and what that uh, team means to that community back then, especially. Yep. Yep. Cause yeah, they're not around anymore, but they, so, you know, if, uh, so Cal, as I mentioned earlier, Cal Marvin would have started the world Lakers. Um, I, you know, I don't know the date. I know they went 50 years. Um, wow. and that ended in, uh, in the early two thousands. Um, so it was a, it was a, you know, it's called senior hockey. It would be like town baseball, right? It's, it's the local guys 
who are all working for a living, you know, working in the factory or school teachers or, you know, any, any of the local jobs and maybe some local, some guys from, you know, local areas close by. Uh, but yeah, they would, they had a senior team and for most, I think in the real early years, it might have, they played some Thief River Falls and Roseau and the, the Minnesota teams. But for the, my life growing up, in the 70s and 80s, 90s, the Lakers were always in a league with, with teams from Canada. So, and it was it was really typical hockey in the 70s and 80s and, and 90s, whereas, you know, fighting was part of the game. Yeah. <laughs> and, uh, you know, the difference was these guys weren't getting paid and, and or weren't even getting an opportunity to go to the next level. It was like they are just playing because they loved the game. Yeah. Um, so that it was senior hockey, and you're you're uh, you know it's it's not minor pro. It's not it's it's senior hockey. You're you're just playing uh, because you love the game, and and uh, Cal loved the game, and he'd get you know he'd bring in some guys from out of town to, to fill the roster and and be competitive. But you know uh, I mentioned my Bantam coach Billy Christian, um, sixty Olympics. So when he came home and was done playing hockey to what six NHL teams. So guys, Americans weren't going on to play much, much pro hockey at that time. So he came back and started uh, with his brother and brother-in-law, a, a stick company, Christian brothers for all those years. But Bill, Bill probably played 15 to 20 years of Laker hockey, Wow! you know, go to work every day and go play in the evening. And I, <clears throat> and I remember it, his, he played until he was 40, and the reason I remember that, 40-ish, because he played uh, – here's another thing for your mom that would be hard to believe for a lot of the people. The World Lakers back in the, in the day had a game every four years with the U.S. Olympic team. No way. national team. No way. Yeah. Yeah. So in 1980, I got to watch – so I was what, 11 years old. In January of 1980, I watched the World Lakers with Bill Christian and um, all the local people that I know played against David Christian and Neil Broughton. And, no and way. The, yeah, the, there was a joke at the time or the next year or two that Mike Ruzioni in January, you know, was, was kind of on the bubble. Maybe he wasn't going to make, you know, they got to cut two guys right at the end. And... Uh, well, he had a big game against the World Lakers, <laughs> and so they say that that kept him on the team. And so, and by 1980, you know, the Lakers weren't competitive with with the Olympic team. But Cal, Cal, I think ran was the general manager of maybe the '56 Olympic team, so he was very involved with USA Hockey. And and back in in those days, in like the '60s, there weren't many teams to play. So I think Cal did the, them a favor and said, "Well, come and play. We'll play the Lakers." So every four years they played, and uh, so I got to watch that team that became the Miracle on Ice up close and personal in our little, you know, rink of that would probably hold fifteen hundred people. We probably got twenty five hundred in it that day. Wow. Um, but yeah, so we got to watch the Olympics, and then. Uh, in 19, my senior year of high school was uh, was Snuggy and Tom Chorsky and the '88 team was up in Warroad. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, I sat in the penalty box and 
which in the Warroad Gardens at the time, the penalty box, there was one penalty box between the two benches, between the <laughs> home and visitor. And so whenever... How, how does that make penalty, sense from a hockey community up in northern Minnesota to have one penalty box? Was that intentional? <laughs> that's a good question because and that would go back, you know, I, when the building was, I think, built in, you know, must have been built in the 50s. Um, <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what I... Yeah, I mean, even... I mean, you know, for the young kids, it was no big deal other than, you know, you're probably mad at someone on the other team yeah. you have to go sit next to them. But, you know, even the World Lakers had, I mean, like I told you earlier, they were fighting, yeah. right? So you break up the fight and <laughs> they would put, they put the guy, the one guy would go in, the visitor would go in first. And for the Lakers, you had, there was a man in the penalty box, right? It wasn't, it wasn't some high school kid. Yeah. Um, so the, the visiting team would go in first and go behind the guy, you know, the guy manning the, the box, and then the home side would come in, and, <laughs> and that guy would sit between them um, unless they got kicked out of the game. So, no, I remember being in that box watching Snuggie and, and Chorsky and um, let's see, who was their coach? was, uh, oh, from Minneapolis, Dave Peterson. Peterson, yeah. Yeah, and, uh, well, you'll remember this from going up there with all your Wyzetta teams. I, I'm sure you had the same thing. It was always, it, we, you'd, you'd run into the Warroad officials, right, or the Rosa <laughs> officials. Might have a little bias toward the no, the home team. Maybe and, a smidge. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> not, it, it, it certainly didn't matter against the Olympic team. and and uh, But it was funny, the first time I'd heard this, uh, yeah, uh, it was the Story Brothers and Warroad are reffing the game, and it must have been a few minutes into the game and tripping or whatever. Someone called a penalty on the Olympic team, and Dave Peterson's yelling, they're not here to watch you, Stripes. They're not here to watch you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and, uh, but that was, that, was, that was awesome. And, you know, I think Jack Blatherwick was with the team too, so Jack and, and Snuggy, you know, go out of their way to say, hey, we'll, we'll see you next fall. Um, so for a kid in high school to watch a couple uh, Olympians play and and think you're going to be on the same team with them next year that was uh, kind of surreal, you know. And yeah, but it was part of growing up in in Warroad. I mean, we as small as the town was, it was, um, you know. I mean, th- th- there were just a ton Warroad and Rosa both. I mean. There were Olympians left and right, um, you know, even before the Brattons and Christians and in all those 60s and 70s, and there are just so many good hockey players from those little towns. And so, but it was still it was still special to uh, you know to see that Olympic team come up there and and play and and uh, they really ran out of gas. But I, uh, I think the uh, it, it just didn't make sense for the Olympians to go up to World anymore. I think. The last Olympic team was uh, when Gigi was on the Olympic team in maybe '06. Oh, that time. Yeah. So the girls, the women's team, went up and played the World High School. So it it changed a little bit, but yeah. World's always had that good connection with USA Hockey. A quick word from our sponsor, Sniper's Edge Hockey. Sniper's Edge Hockey is your one-stop shop for your at-home hockey training needs on and off the ice. 
Find the perfect start to your at-home training area with slick tiles, synthetic ice, or a rink liner. Or upgrade your home setup with one of our top quality training tools to help you work on soft hands, all of your deeks and dangles, perfect your one-timer, and improve the power and accuracy of your shot. Find it all online and in stock for immediate shipping at snipersedgehockey.com. So, you know, you, you mentioned how special it is up there when that was going on. Uh, one thing that is also special regarding Minnesota hockey is the high school state tournament held down at the Excel Energy Center, uh, home of the Minnesota Wild. But prior to that, uh, when you and I were trying to get there, the tournament was held at the St. Paul Civic Center. Uh did you ever go down there and watch the tournament as a kid? I know War Road, War Road wasn't there for, uh, they had a bit of a drought, but uh, yeah, did you ever go down there and experience it and say, you know, one day I want to be here? You know, we went down um, my sophomore year. So as a young kid, no, I never did. Um, and our sophomore year, we had a really good team. Um, had a lot of success we were actually the number one seed although that was just a, a little bit of a a horseshoe beating george palau and the bemidji Lumber, lumberjacks oh, that year yeah. in the regular season so they were big and tough and we but we managed to beat them uh in the regular season so we got the number one seed um but we weren't quite ready to be the number one seed. We got knocked off in the quarters. The first game, Moorhead took us out. Um, but that was, yeah, 85 and 86 was the year I'm talking about my sophomore year. So uh, Bemidji, George Palau went down. And uh, so we went down that year. Some of the dad, Izzy's dad, Cal, and a few others took a bunch of us down. And, you know, that was probably a good thing for us to see and experience and think you know what how fun would this be this is unbelievable um you know maybe it'd come down to a north star game once or twice as a kid or up to a winnipeg jets game which was a lot closer to warroad yeah um you know to get that but uh yeah as you mentioned the civic center and still today the xl energy center sold out for a high school hockey game it's just it's still i mean it's it's why we uh, can call ourselves the state of hockey, right? Amongst a lot of other reasons, but so that that was a little bit of fuel to say, yeah, let's uh, let's work hard, let's let's try to get back here uh, and actually play in this game. And was fortunate enough to do that the next year, my junior year, and we had a big senior class. And um, so yeah, that I think in '87, that might have been the first time since Henry's. Gre- Henry Bush, Bushy's team down in 69. 70. They came in 70. 70. Did they come in 72? Okay, so probably had Alan Hankslaven and, and uh, Mike Marr. Alan Hankslaven was a star at North Dakota, played in the NHL back in the day. And uh, so 70, yeah, so 70 to 87 was the drought you're talking about. So that was a big deal for our community and for our team. And, and uh, yeah, that was fun. Um, yeah, fortunately won the first game, and, and uh, but ran into the, the Braves. Actually, it was a year after Bloomer. Scott Bloom won the, the tournament a couple years in a row, but the next year, 87, with, with Wernus and, and those guys, we lost to them in the semis. And that would have been the year uh, Kennedy, Jason Miller, and Joe Decker and boys won it um, in 87. And 
So I wasn't really expecting to come down the, the next year just because we had a big senior class. Um, but we were fortunate. Um, we had a great goalie in Chad Yerkson my senior year and uh, several other, Dan Marvin and Joe Biondi and, and several other guys um, that all stepped up and we were able to make it back my senior year. So I got two runs at it. Uh, unfortunately, the same outcome. Um won the first game and, and the, the second year. And the, the fun thing about that, my senior year, was the game was against Edina. <clears throat> so semifinals, last game of the day, the Friday session. And as you can imagine, you know, other than the people that were from Edina, there was no one else in the rink or the, probably the state of Minnesota hoping that Edina would win that game. <laughs> so we... <laughs> We had a big cheering section, um, and that was that was fun, and it was a really really good game, and you know double overtime loss, um, a heartbreaker, and you know so that game got over at midnight, I think, and you're devastated, and so trying to play the next day for third place wasn't uh, wasn't easy, and um, so we ended up losing the third place game both years. Um, but memories of a lifetime and you know one thing I remember my we came in 87 it had been 17 years uh, small town right so you probably heard the same name, same names in all my stories but it was it was Carol Christian who came and talked to us before the game um, our first game in 87 and this is David's uh, mom and so in 87 David Christian would have you know he'd won the gold medal in 80 and he's on his seventh year in the NHL um, and so he's you know, someone all of us idolized and, and Carol came down and said just want to say good luck to you guys and David sends his best and wishes you all good luck and and he told me to tell you that the one thing he wishes that he would have done and he never was able to do is play in the state tournament and you know we're all looking around it's like He's got a gold medal and <laughs> scoring goals in the NHL. I'll trade places with him right now. Um, but we we appreciated that, and we really knew how special it, it was for someone of that stature to say, hey, the high school, Minnesota State High School Hockey Tournament's a big deal. I mean, you know, so I, I you know, I try to, just try to tell that to the kids still today, right? And and they all appreciate it a little bit, and you you. Like we all do, you appreciate it more after it's over and you grow up. Right, and you know the. I was, I remember being here in Wyzetta, uh, and they hadn't been to the state tournament ever, and I'm on the coaches committee and development committee, and a question just reoccurring would come up is, you know, how do we get a tradition, like a war road, a Rosso, a Diana, Minnetonka, and. A lot of people in the room were like, you know, you got to get to the big dance at the high school level because that's what fuels all the kids below. You know, they go to that game, they experience that, and they want to be there. Uh, so I know that, you know, you getting there two times, uh, even though you didn't win it, that that's fueling the next generation of kids to, to you know, have that as a dream to, to try to accomplish. Right. Yep. And yeah, you're absolutely right. And for, for every program, like you said, Wyzetta or any of them, because, 
you know, like we know growing up, right, as a squirt and a peewee, it's like that, that's a big deal to watch those high school kids. And, yeah, if they can make it to the state tournament and and even the section playoffs are, are fun. The section final games are always are always a blast. Um, so it, it's but it does make for a tradition and a culture once you can get there. And, and um, you know, and I think there's something to it that, it that you don't go every year as well right and you know there's a little um like uh, not a, not many teams go every year um some go more than others but you know just to get a taste of it right and now we have get the opportunity with with two classes um that we didn't have in our day so there's more kids to get that opportunity but you know i think it's fun to see those smaller schools and those outstate schools that you know, some didn't even have a hockey program 30 years ago and, and now are making it to the state tournament, um, big and small schools. So it, it is a it is a big boost for your hockey community to get your team to the state tournament. Yeah, just uh, then, then they know it's possible. And if it if he can do it, why can't I? Uh, I just, I love that. So before we uh, kind of move on, I got a couple more questions um, from your high school years. But... Uh, there's one that I read uh, from your coach. Uh, it's an article that uh, references your uh, former Warlord coach, uh, Tom King, who said you're playing Detroit Lakes whatever year it was in high school. And uh, you guys, I mean, you have like uh, six forwards and like 3D. Uh, you know, the, the, that's what we haven't mentioned is that the lineups for these teams were very small. Uh, you're playing against teams that have 6D, two goalies, and uh, three lines of forwards at the youth level. And you guys were always coming in with uh, with short lineups. But uh, And I remember you never coming off the ice watching you in the state tournament. But uh, this story is you're, you're playing uh, against the Detroit Lakes team. Uh, your team's struggling. You take a penalty in the first period. After it's over, you come back to the, the bench. You're swearing. Uh, Coach King benches you for the first period, the rest of the first period. Puts you back out there, starting in the second period. And I've never heard this ever. I did some research online. It's never happened in the NHL. But you went on to score three. You got a natural hat trick, and all the goals were shorthanded. Never heard that before. Do you remember that game? You know what I do remember about that game, and kind of the neat thing, um, I don't remember scoring three shorthanded goals, but but the beauty is, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna say it happened because there's no video evidence from 1987 or 88 that could prove it otherwise, right? Um, you are the only I one. Do, yeah, yeah, I'm the only one. Um, I do remember that game being one of those games where we've all had them, right? You go in there and you're, you're the better team. You're, you're, uh, you know, how do you get yourself motivated and fired up? And as a coach, you know, how do you, how do you get your team ready for a game that you're supposed to win? And, uh, so yeah, we, we were, it wasn't going well. We weren't playing well. And, and I remember it was coach Comstock, uh, who was our JV coach and our defensive coach and, a 76 Olympian and goalie from Roseau and Bemidji State and but he's running uh 
he's running the D, and what did he say? So we, uh, yeah, I either got a penalty or we had a bad shift, and he's he's kind of upset at everybody, and he's basically just kind of yelling at the team, like, let's go, you know, get it going here, come on, fellas, this is, you guys are not playing well, and you know whatever he's saying, and and I, in in defense of myself and the whole team, just kind of shot back and just like you know whatever it must have mixed in a swear word or two and said puck you it's not that bad yeah you know i wouldn't have said that i would definitely would not have said that to the coach but i probably i would have said you know what we're fucking doing the best we can or you know it's something and uh he got everybody he got my attention and everyone else when he said uh sit down on the bench and you know he was 100 percent right you don't talk to the coach like that and uh yeah, so the rest of the first period, which it might have been four minutes, you know, it probably wasn't a long period of time, but like you said, I played quite a bit. So if there was a four-minute stretch where I wasn't on the ice and my leg wasn't broken, uh, <laughs> it was kind of unusual. So, but yeah, I got upset. The whole team was upset, and we took it out on Detroit Lakes um, the rest of that game. And um, so, yeah, I, it, things did turn around for us, and. But I, that was the one and only time, yeah, that I would have kind of talked back to the Coach King and Coach Comstock, and they they remember that story as do I. And <laughs> it was uh, it all turned out we could all smile on the bus ride home. But it was yeah, it was one of those games. It was just frustrating, you know. It was hard to get going, and um, but once we did, um, everything was everything was good. I do remi- remember my mom after the game though. Um, Kind of saying, did you get hurt? What, what happened? <laughs> so I had to fess up to my mom that no, I I said something the coach shouldn't have said, and he put me in my place. Yeah, and that's where you know you guys had so much experience at the the coaching level. Um, I know you mentioned that the the girls program wasn't rocking yet, but uh, uh, so lucky to have that. And you know, as a coach. You want to see that fire in the kid's belly that he cares and and that and you know they might have benched it but they knew that something good was going to come so uh just awesome stories larry uh let, next question you you win mr hockey your senior year um kind of a nice feather in the cap you know what did that mean to you when you won that award and to the war road community because you know, did you feel like, okay, you know, all these guys before me that have had success, I haven't played the Olympics, but you know what, this is a great recognition of, uh, you know, all the hard work that I put in with the help of uh, my buddies, and, uh, you know, it, I'm proud to, to bring it back to the community. Yeah, I think there there were, definitely was that sense of it was, uh, it was, nice to you know obviously felt really good to get that award but this is disappointing as it was because it's the day after the state tournament so you're you're still pretty down but you know to win mr hockey and to bring it back to warroad um and because no question for me that had i grew up you know just about anywhere else that wouldn't happen so it really was a uh, an individual award that was an award, I think, that, you know, kind of the whole community um, was was responsible for. So it, it was nice. It was special. And, 
um, yeah, I was really happy. And our goalie, Chad Erickson, was one of the finalists uh, as well. So for the two of us to be nominated um, was a was a really nice deal, and and it was it was a nice special award that I was yeah definitely glad to bring back to to Warroad, and it, that was definitely a good good time and we enjoyed it and the community really embraced us when we came home from that uh the state tournament you know both years you were we had a whole community to welcome welcome us home win or lose and and it, that is really special and definitely won't ever forget those days that's awesome so you you're a small town kid uh you moved down to the to the big city uh, with, with, go to go play uh, at the University of Minnesota. Did you have an adjustment? Because I I, uh, I know my freshman year, Blaine Rude, who was from Fergus Falls, um, you know, he had a tough adjustment, you know, moving from, uh, you know, a small town to the University of Minnesota. Did that uh, have any effect on you? It was definitely an adjustment. You know what helped me the most... Um one good teammate of yours and mine, Kenny Janander, was uh, a year ahead of me, um, but another small-town kid from Coleraine and just, uh, I guess, enjoyed the dorm life enough after his freshman year to, to stay there for year two. So I was fortunate to have him as a roommate. Um, wow. And yeah, and and we were big time too because he was a second year, so we got a suite in Pioneer Hall. We had our <laughs> own room. <laughs> we were, uh, we were big time. And uh, no, so Kenny made the adjustment for me, another small town northern kid um, who I had met before and knew coming in. So he made it the adjustment um, much much better. And then just for me, just um, starting. You know, and getting in with with uh, the hockey team, and you know, our obviously, as you know, right, our our college life revolved around hockey from from the day I think hockey started about the same time school started in late September um, for us. So that he made the adjustment, um, living in in a dorm and being in the big city a little bit easier. But I I will tell you one funny fun story and about the small town kid in the big city. So he was a sophomore, and he had—he didn't have it all year. But for the first few weeks of school, he had a car. Um, and and you know, and all the kids at the U today still know what a pain it is to find a spot to park. So he only had it for a couple of weeks. But we're running around uh, the first week of school, and he has to go to the bookstore and get a book. And of course, there's there's nowhere to park. Um, so it's just. I'll drop, um, I'll drive, drop him off. And, uh, did I lose you there, Lance? Nope, I'm here. Okay, sorry about that. Um, so we got to go get a book, but there's no place to park. So we're in his car and, uh, he stops in front of the bookstore. He says, you just drive around the block and, uh, you know, I'm going to run in and get my book and we'll be back out. I said, okay, no problem. I can, I can do that. Well, it's not like driving around the block in Warroad, right? We had one stoplight in Warroad. Um, so I, I'm literally dro- dropping, going around the block in Dinkytown. And uh, I take a left. And first, I kid you not, first time I'd ever been on a one-way street. 
Christmas. And I'm going the wrong way. <laughs> Everybody's honking, as you can imagine. I'm like, what? I was like, oh my gosh, it's a one-way. I, I had never been on a one-way street. So, yeah, I was a little out of my element at times. And uh, fortunately, was able to get his car turned around and and back to back to the bookstore and pick him up and and was happy to get out of the driver's seat but yeah so there were de- there are definitely some adjustments um and fortunately he was there to to help me <laughs> help me with all that so kenny janander yeah saved me in a lot of ways and was able to make it make me feel at home and and not quite like a small town punk like i was and uh we managed to get through together and what we what we forget is that uh, there were no cell phones back then. There was no MapQuest, you know. It was exactly right. Throwing you out yeah, to the so wolves. I'm, yeah, I'm gonna. I'll go around. You know, go around the block. Right? You go left, 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 and it's like, uh oh, I can't go left here. How now? Where do I go? <laughs> uh, yeah, brilliant. So, so your first yeah. year at the University of Minnesota, we were teammates, and it was the best and probably worst year I ever had as we lost to Harvard in the national championship game in overtime. Uh, you know, pretty impressive season for you because I think you were brought in to, to play defense, but uh, because of necessity or just wanting to get you in the lineup, uh, you ended up playing forward. What do you remember about that first season with the Gophers? Yeah, I re- well, I remember the first series, which was in Madison. Um, so that was quite the <laughs> quite the welcome to college hockey, right? And I did play defense that first weekend. And I, you'll remember, you, you may not remember, you remember the, uh, well, if you listen to the, the other podcast, you will remember, uh, you know, Randy Scarta scoring all those goals as a sophomore and we'll bring it in you know, Tommy Peterson and Larry Olam and let's get them back both on defense and we'll move Scarta up to score, you know, 40 goals on forward. So the first weekend I played defense in Madison and I remember coming home on Sunday feeling like I'd played a football week- weekend. I got, I'd never been hit so much in a hockey game. Um, you know, all of a sudden everyone's bigger and faster and stronger, right? So it's not so easy to duck around to check. Um, so I do remember that, and I remember the building being filled with students for the warm-ups, which was awesome. Um, you know, and that was so, that was the uh, the start of it. And then, yeah, it made sense to get Randy back on the, on defense, and we had such a good team, like you said, um, and such a good year that went all the way to the to the uh, final game in St. Paul. But uh, you know what? I look back and I appreciate that Doug got me in the lineup uh you know every night and i think for him he was probably looking you know more more to the future than uh than that first year as much as i got to play and be part of the team it was uh you know for me it was a learning experience and a growing experience and fortunately to play with uh with so many juniors and seniors it was uh it was easy just to kind of fill in, right? And I certainly wasn't the star of the team and, and didn't need to be and what couldn't have been, um, but got to play with so many good players and such a good team. And um, yeah, unfortunately the, the finish uh, wasn't what we wanted, but it was such a learning experience for me and 
And the other thing I know too, Jack Blatherwick coaching, I had never, um, you know, we talked about growing up in the small town and all the advantages of, of War Road and the ice time, but the one thing I didn't have was skating instructions. Um, and Jack would have been the first person to really break it down and, really? as you know, yeah, um, you know, well, in in eighties, it was, uh, you know, let's do Herbie's. We'll, we'll, you'll learn how to skate. Go to the other end and back as fast <laughs> as you can. <laughs> do it again. Yeah. Do it again. Um, no, so Jack was was instrumental in my hockey ability. I mean, because that first year was tough, just the pace of the game, the game, and I improved my skating improved so much um, with Jack and. You know what he did off ice, and but more with with just all the edge work he had done, and it was it was all new to me, and um, you know something you know from a coaching standpoint that I I still do today because I know how it just made as you know right the game's a lot funner when you can skate faster and oh yeah and not get knocked over and yeah so Jack uh, my, and and you know Doug and Bill Butters and all the good coaching and so my game really improved and. Um, you know, so that was the biggest thing of that first year. And, and of course the heartbreak of, of losing, um, and yeah, fast forward for me, Lance, and it's you, you, I don't know where you would have been at the time, but you know, fast forward for me 10 years later or more than that, actually in 2002, I'm watching the Gophers go to overtime. Was that with Maine? Um, I think in St. Paul. And I'm watching the game, and it's tied, and it's going to overtime. And I'm thinking, oh no! It's like if these guys lose in overtime, they're going to be just another team, you yeah. know, like like us. No one, you know, no one's going to remember you. And I was so happy for them and for the program when uh, they pulled that off. Yeah. And uh, the following year as well. So, um, but yeah, that that first year was a big adjustment, and and uh, you know, playing forward was wasn't too bad because like i said i had played rover um (laughs) (laughs) so much as a as a youth hockey player and um so i i certainly was able to make that adjustment and with all the good players around me it was it it wasn't that hard to do so you know we had that experience you know you think that uh okay getting to the ncaa tournament or the final four is easy uh, you uh, were part of every year you made it to the NCAA tournament. Uh, you continued to just evolve and compound, and by the end of your college career, uh, you're the all-time assist leader, uh, passing legendary John Masich. Um, when it, when that happened, when it was all said and done, I mean. Did it really hit you, or did it take a few years to really it to settle into what you really accomplished there? How spectacular it was! Yeah, I would say it took definitely took some time because I I think you know it's the world has changed so much because I'll be honest, like when that when I got to that point and it happened, like I didn't. You know, there was no buildup. They're like, "Hey, you're you're ten points assists away or five assists away." I mean, there it, that never happened. It was, it was just all of a sudden. Um, you know, I remember when it happened. It's the it was the first weekend of the WCHA playoffs against North Dakota, 
at home and and that was the weekend it happened and it happened uh one night and they announced it the next night and i i really don't there was we were in the playoffs so they're really we didn't you know you didn't stop the game it was like that was uh something to be celebrated i guess later but yeah to answer your question it, it didn't didn't sink in didn't mean as much at that time as it you know as it does today um and you know but it's an assist so where i you know part of the thing is i mean there's a couple things that happened that, that i like to remind people is one i played four years in, in college hockey because i couldn't go to the next level um you know there were guys that played a year or two that probably would have had more points more assists but the other thing was I, I couldn't score goals. So, you know, what do you do if you can't score? you got to pass the puck. Um, and fortunately, I played with a lot of good players that could, could score. So it was uh, – it's almost like a team award, to be honest. Um, but it uh, it's something I do look on now and, and appreciate. And, and uh, yeah, I just – you know, again, this goes back to loving the game, loving my teammates, and, and it was it was fun to play, and, and it's always fun to score, right? And, and whether it's a goal or assist or your teammate, it's it's still fun to it's still fun to play the game and and see goals scored, and and it was that was what I could do, I guess, to be honest, is I could make plays and I could give a guy a pass when, uh, you know, maybe he. You know, Clatter was expecting it, but no one else was was thinking they were going to get the puck. And uh, you know, those are the best goals when you can give a guy a tap in and and uh, you know to play with the players that I played with, uh, Kenny and Janander and Clatter and Leyland and uh, Darby and yeah. uh, John Anderson. And it was it was you know it was special special years for me, no question. Well, for a teammate of yours for uh, a short time, um, you know, even though you're older, all of us older guys were watching you and trying to learn because we knew that there there was something special going on there. Um, pretty cool stuff. You uh, you turned pro, and you know what happened there. Why why? Why? I mean, you said that you can't score goals, but you're you're a dish and magician. I mean, Adam Oates, dish and magician. What happened? Why why couldn't you make that next lef, level up at the the pro ranks? What happened there? Yeah, I think you know, looking back, um, I don't have any regrets, but I I think. You know, the one thing I didn't, because you had asked me a question earlier, you said, you know, w- you know, when did it sink in, right? That hockey was, you know, that you were good at it and you could, you could go somewhere with it. And, you know, it really, for me, it was always a game and I always worked hard and, and wanted to get better, but it was, you know, I don't think I had the mentality um, that was needed to make it to the next level. Cause there's so many guys, as you know, that are, are that good and, so uh, it just, you know, things didn't pan out. And I didn't, I, you know, looking back, it's like I didn't know what the heck was going on. And I listened to your story about your agent and what the kind of neat story that you had about, you know, how you ended up getting where you got to Ottawa and got the opportunity and you had to grind for a few years and, and made it. And, you know, for me, it was, 
you know, it was San Jose, right? I was a 10th round draft pick. So it wasn't like anyone <laughs> looked at me at young and said, he's going to play in the NHL uh, in the 10th round. But, uh, and then of course, when they expanded and moved to San Jose, my rights went out there. And so when college was over, I didn't know, I didn't have, there were no agents knocking on my door saying, Hey, I got to work with you. And I asked Doug, you know, what do I do? And, uh, he got me hooked up with someone and, you know, it wasn't the right person because he was, he was an established agent and he thought, well, you know what, you're a good hockey player. We're going to hold out. Let's see what they give you. And so I didn't sign all summer. And, uh, what I turned to come to learn, uh, in San Jose was Chuck Grillo. And so those guys went and skated and Brainerd in the summer and I didn't because, you know, I hadn't signed a contract, so finally signed in August. And it was funny. I go out to uh, San Jose to the training camp, and there was actually uh, – I had a meeting with the general manager at the, at the, in training camp. And he kind of was like, I don't know why you're holding out. He said, there's three of you, Mark Buffet from northern Michigan and Jeff McLean from North Dakota. And, and the three of us were all about the same size and – um, you know, it basically we, we gave the three of you the same contract. So I don't know what you're holding out for. <laughs> it's like, I don't, I don't know. Uh, I, I don't know anything about this. I just want to play hockey. Um, but he said, so, you know what? He, he's, this was funny too. Looking back at the time, it wasn't funny. Um, but he said, you know what? You need to make, you need to be, sh- uh, do something to be noticed out there. There's all these guys in camp. There's these guys I mentioned. You know what? You need. I don't care if you're out in the middle of the ice. You drop down your pants and take a piss. You need to do something out there to get noticed. And I'm, I was kind of like realized now that he was actually serious. Um, probably didn't want me to take a piss on the ice, but I did need to do something and. You know that you know me. I mean, that's not my style, right? It's like I just want to play the game, and uh, you know, so I, it didn't didn't wasn't a good start, and I didn't do anything that would be noticeable at an NHL training camp. So, um, you know, I, it kind of goes back to I just the game was always fun, and I loved to play, and but it was for me, it, I didn't I didn't have the drive needed, you know, mentally. Um, to go through that grind and, and, uh, you know, go down to the minors. And so I, they sent me to, uh, Kansas city, you know, so you're, you're playing at, at the IHL and same thing there. It's like, you got 30 guys and plenty of guys. And they're like, you know what? You're not going to get much time in here. Actually, it was Kevin Constantly was the coach. He's like weekend. He's like, Hey, I really enjoyed what. And I'm thinking, Hey, he's from Minnesota international falls. I got a guy on my side <laughs> and he's like, yeah, I really enjoyed watching you, but in college, but you're not, you're not strong enough. You know what? So you're not going to play. I just want you to work. I want you to lift weights. I want you to get bigger. And like, uh, I really want to play, but if that's what you want me to do. So, and a few days in, and I remember doing a workout one morning, going to the gym and you know, you're in the minors, so you're doing it by yourself. But, at that time but then i go to the game that evening thinking i'm not playing well someone was sick or hurt and it's all so i just he's like you're you're playing <laughs> i was like i thought i wasn't playing i just did a leg workout um 
so that was kind of my mind, you know, and then about a week later, the, the GM in Kansas City calls and says, uh, or it probably wasn't a week, I, you know, a month or two later. It's like, you know what, we're, we want you to get, you need to get more playing time. We're going to send you to the East Coast. Um, and, you you know, you know what the East Coast was like at that time. It's like, that's not my game. Uh, I'm not going to the East Coast. Yeah. So that didn't work out. And, and uh you know, I kind of thought I was done, and there, you know, I, I, Europe might have been a, a better thought. I I didn't have many opportunities there, but uh, kind of thought it was over. And and the only the the one shot I got was thanks to Glenn Sonmore, who's done so much for Minnesota kids, right, and Gophers, and when me, the Moose got a me team. one of them, me one of them. I mean, he was the one that got me drafted yeah. for the North Stars, and I had the same opportunity with the Moose as well, but I chose Ottawa. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, kind of after a year off, he said, Hey, come and, you know, come and try out. So I, I did. And that was a fun experience. Good guys. And, and, uh, um, I actually had played roller hockey that summer before and I was in no shape to, to play, but Glenn gave me the opportunity. And actually another interesting story, Lance, I think no one probably knows this either, but I'm going to take credit for the guy back in, so in that time, 1994, I signed a 25 game tryout contract with the Moose um, and made it through the first 25 games and was hoping that, you know, I did well enough that I'd get a contract and I did well enough to get another 25 game contract. So I got now I'm on, you know, a 50-game con- tryout contract. And so after 50 games, same thing. It's like, well, I'm certainly not tearing it up, but I'm able to play forward. I'm playing defense. Um, you know, I, I hopefully earned a earned a spot, right? And so after 50 games, you get called back into the, the office. So, Larry, um, we want to offer you another 25-game contract, 25-game <laughs> tryout. <laughs> it's like, are you kidding me? So I had a 75-game tryout. I signed oh three 25-game tryout contracts. And I got to the end of the to 75 games, so now there's five games left in the season. I'm thinking, you know what? Again, I didn't tear it up, but it's like I'm okay. It's like maybe they'll sign me for these last five games and, and a next year. Um, and so, nope, uh, we want to – We'll sign you to another 25 game, you know, signed it on a tryout to the end of the year. So, and I don't, I'll take credit for it, but I I know it was shortly thereafter that it was no longer could you sign guys to multiple 25 game tryout contracts. (laughs) I think it was one and one and done. So I, so my whole season was a tryout. um, Oh man. And obviously didn't go that well, (laughs) but it was, uh, it was a fun group of players and, and, uh, it was a good experience and, but it was, you know, for me, it was learning what a little bit, what, what professional, and it was, that was the IHL. And at the time that league was, wasn't like the American league, right. Where, where you would have been and played for a few years and you're playing with a bunch of young guys. I'm playing with Snuggy who'd been in the NHL for 300 games and Dave Christian who'd played a thousand games and, several other guys that are at the end of their contract, but you know, they're putting a team together just, just to win. It's, it's not a development team. Um, 
and yeah, so Glenn did a few of us Minnesota guys a favor, and so yeah, that was my last that last season, and um, yeah, it just turned out pro. And one other thing I learned too at that time is the guys were so good, and and even at at my best, although it what I did learn is you know when we're done with college at 22 years old, you're certainly not at your peak, right? It's like you could get a lot better, you could get a lot. Better. So had I still continued to play and, and play at a good level and work out and you know I could have been you know I, I could have improved but it that didn't work out but um but all these what I learned too and and you know I wasn't the type of guy I, I couldn't you know I might have been better than some third or fourth line guys in the NHL but I wasn't better at what they were doing right my game was to be a top line center or a power play defenseman and those I'll be I'm not afraid to tell you and be honest that those I, I couldn't do that I couldn't play at that level and I really respect all of you that did for all those years and it's it it just keeps getting better and better um, these players and how fast and strong and uh, and I do enjoy I enjoy watching it and then the play you know the playmaking that's going on today and um, it's uh it's fun so i i don't have any regrets i you know what i've done the things a couple things differently to to try to make it pro hockey yeah but um again i'm pretty satisfied with what happened how it worked out how i you know met my wife and like you mentioned at the beginning three wonderful kids and um yeah it's it's all been it's all been a blessing well i look back on your career and you know it may not have went as long as you, you'd hoped, but man, when you uh, rewind the tape and, and look at what you accomplished, uh, that's that's something you can hang your hat on. So congratulations, Larry, on an unreal career. I'm just grateful I was able to play with you for a couple years. Yeah, well, thank you. It, it's, uh, it's certainly fun to look back and so many great memories. And yeah, obviously there was a, a game or two we wish we could have won and um, some things we had done differently, but, you know, I think as, as most hockey players, happy to look back and, and mostly on all the wonderful people I've met along the way and good teammates. And, and of course, one or two, we'd, we want to forget, right? <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that well, the truth? Cool. It's been good. Yeah. yeah. So you, you end up, um, walking away from the, from the sport as, as a player, but, uh, got married to Carla, started having kids, and guess what? Someone gets interested in hockey, and you have no choice, but you got to coach. So you got into coaching a little youth hockey. So just spend a, a little time on that because um, from my perspective, when I retired and, and got into coaching, uh, that was an animal I didn't know existed. I mean, you think you play at a high level, it's going to be pretty easy to teach a four-year-old how to skate and handle the puck, but... Uh, I was just grateful and lucky that I was mentored by some uh, really cool people early in my coaching career. How did that work for you? Yeah, you know, the same way, I think, uh, Lance. You know, my first, uh, I guess, mentorship for kind of a, as a, someone who brought me in and and said, hey, let's, you're done playing. Let's, uh, you want to stay in the game, which, of course, I did. Um you know, come and coach. And that was, you know, one of our coaches that we talked about earlier, Jack Blatherwick. So I got, that was my first experience helping him at, at Minnehaha Academy back in, 
gosh, I think it was like the 93, 94 winter. Um, you know, so that, that was one thing is, you know, now you're dealing with high school kids and coaching and you're part of the game. And, uh, you know, at that time I wasn't that far removed from uh, being a high school kid. So that part was, was good. But I think, you know, what you, you're talking about too is now rewind and go all the way back to, to helping kids stand up on the ice, um, with the chair or with, uh, you know, just, just getting out there. So that was, uh, you know, that's a different animal as you know, and, and just takes a lot of patience. And, um, I'll, I'll be honest, my worst hockey injury happened at, uh, at the Central Middle School Arena in Wyzetta, uh, coaching the mites. <laughs> I, a lot of people will remember that story, and I'm actually uh, quite serious. Um, I was fortunate to get through a, a hockey career with pretty much unscathed. Uh, coaching mites, five, six-year-olds, and, and you can imagine this, right? They're just learning how to skate, and now, uh, now we're going to try and teach them how to stop. So we're going from the half boards. We're going to take five or six strides and stop at the cone. Um, so coach, uh, me at the time, coach goes first, demonstrates, couple strides, two foot, uh, you know, drag in your back foot, stop on your front foot, stick on the ice, hockey position, right? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. You remember the basics, right? Oh, so yeah. the first kid in line, you know, I'm still standing there in the hockey position and I uh, wasn't smart enough to know that uh, even though I made it all those years with, with without getting hurt, um, maybe I should have had a mask on. Uh, <laughs> a little boy comes up and stops right in front of me, but as they often do, loses his balance and kept two hands on his stick. And as you can imagine, his feet went up. He's falling backwards, holding onto his stick. I'm standing, leaned over in the hockey position. His stick comes right into my eyeball. Oh no! And I'm not kidding. I mean, I it felt like uh, like a jello squishing. I mean, it oh. was a square. Um, I dropped my gloves. Said all the words you could imagine I would say, which probably shouldn't have been said in front of five year old hockey players, but they were going to hear it eventually. Um, <laughs> skated off and uh, literally right to the eye doctor. Um, I think Ted Sanders was there, who you know. Uh, I think he was the one brought me to the eye doctor. And uh, the good news is that my vision, everything came back, but my my pupil still doesn't dilate in that one eye. So, you know, that's <laughs> that was a, wow. a, a learning experience, right? And, you know, it was it would happen all the time. And, and we actually, you know, too, oftentimes we're, we're getting hurt in those situations. Parents where you're... Uh, and dads are out coaching and little kids are just learning how to skate and you get hit from behind or what have you. So anyway, that was, that was a big kind of the beginning of coaching, uh, my son Jackson and it wasn't him, but, uh, one of the boy, and one wasn't his fault, but, but I didn't, uh, I didn't get deterred a couple of weeks off and I was back out there with a, with a shield and, uh, I probably had a mouth guard in and, elbow pads just in case but but it was uh so I really did enjoy it um and and um growing up you know or I should say you know being on the ice with my kids as they grew up and got better at hockey and 
you know, the game obviously gets more fun as, as they get better and I think they enjoy it more. And so it's, it is fun and it's, it's interesting to go back to those basics. Um, and then you give a lot of, a lot of thanks looking back to those that helped us when we were little, right. And, right. and uh, pushing around a chair and, you know, it's the same, it's the same today as it was 50 years ago. And, and the kids that, that love it and and just keep working at it are the ones that uh, that keep playing and um, a lot of kids just play to have fun and that's that's kind of what it's all about too so um, it was fun coaching you know coaching my kids and I helped uh, with a couple other U15 teams over the years and um, yeah and then you know back with the high school the kids this opportunity with Orono which uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to. So the best advice that I got was like almost day two or three of uh, my first experience coaching uh, organized hockey. And a guy, he, he didn't even play high school hockey, but he had been coaching at the might level for years. And he says, I can't give you much, Lance, but I'm going to give you this little bit of advice. He says, anytime you're on the ice standing around, Make sure your butt's against the board. Keep everyone in front of you. <laughs> that is yeah. uh, that is really good advice for yeah. uh, for that age. Yeah. <laughs> so the, the the one thing that you and I uh, have in common from a coaching perspective is that uh, a lot of coaches may just coach the boys, may just coach the girls, but you and I have uh, had experience with both. And if you if you only coach boys and you you've never had the opportunity to coach girls, I mean, just awesome. Uh, I actually the, the business, the stick handling, shooting, training that I do now, uh, it's not even close. I train way more girls than I do boys now. That my guys are gone, but uh, you coached the high school team at YZ, and you just mentioned that uh, you just took the job for Orono. Uh, what's the attachment to the girls' side? Because uh, you coach boys at the beginning, but when did that transition? And you know, you know what I'm talking about. I mean, it's cool coaching girls. They're they're it's a it's a different experience for sure. It is, yeah. And uh, it it I'm really glad to have had the opportunity to coach both. Um, you know, I, I'll throw a shout out to another teammate of mine and, and how it got started way back. Uh, way back when I was helping Dino Williamson uh, coach clinics in the Wyzetta area and uh, young boys and girls. And then when I ended up moving to Plymouth um, in 2000, it was that fall, they needed a high school coach for the girls. So that's, that was really my introduction to Wyzetta hockey was Dino. And then uh, when they had that opening, um, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And actually it had been years probably mid nineties when Dino and I were doing the clinics. And then, uh, you know, five, six years later had the opportunity in YZ with the girls and, uh, yeah, I was really excited about it. And, and certainly some learning experiences for me coaching girls at the high school level. Um, but, and, and, you know, a lot of the game is similar, right? The coaching hockey, the boys and girls, obviously there's no checking, but as we know, it's still a physical sport for the girls. And, um, you know, I, I guess I'll say this to all the Orono girls that I'm about to meet and have met. The, the great thing about coaching girls is they're smarter, right? <clears throat> so 
Uh, no, they're, uh, they are, and they're, uh, you know, it depends. Every group's different. Um, I've heard nothing but good things about this group uh, of Orono High School kids and, and their youth. And, but they, they are all committed, you know, whether it's boys or girls. Uh, I know they're committed to the game, and they're, uh, they're determined, and they're, they're hungry. They want to do their best. And, um, but, they, you know, it's, it's, it's a different emotion, right? They're, I think typically the girls are better at controlling their emotion, um, the, uh, they're more apt to, uh, come to practice, not thinking they know everything. Um, when they're 16 years old or 14 years old, like a lot of the boys do. Um, so they're, they're much more open and, you know, it's, it's like both. I think it's, it's communication, but I think it's probably even more, more important with the girls, but I, I just, yeah, I've had a good connection, um, coaching the girls. Um, and really enjoy it and enjoy the game. And, you know, I guess there was just say there was a need in, in Orono with this opening. And, and, uh, like I said before, I'm excited for the opportunity and, um, it'll be as good or better for me than it will for the, for the girls having me uh, join their program. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I've met a few of the kids, good, good kids, good families. They've got a, a good solid, um, you know, senior and junior class, but it, it, I think they have depth, you know, down down through the ranks as well in Orono. Um, it's pretty cool to see. I, I can't remember. So just so everyone knows, we had a little technical difficulty when we were doing this interview. So we got uh, about an, an hour done, and then my computer just died. So we're uh, finishing it up here a couple days later. So I can't remember if we talked about this, but... Uh, I think it's pretty cool, I mean, how the stars have aligned for you with this new coaching position because on a couple fronts. One is you're from War Road, which is a really small town, um, and now you're in the cities, but you're coaching a small town team. So I think that's pretty cool, that connection. And then the other one, did we talk about uh, how you're taking that team up to War Road this year, and that was already in the schedule before you took the job. I mean, how cool is that this winter to be going up there and playing the girls up there? Yeah, I would say that's a huge bonus. Um, like you said, it was their schedule was was put together, and but I think the stars did align, and it it was uh, it was meant to be because I I'm uh, yeah I'm thrilled that we're going up to War Road. Um, our Orono girls are going to Warroad in November. One of the first uh, early games, of course, I got it circled on my calendar, November 19th. Um, and I've been following, obviously, the Warroad boys and girls for, you know, forever. But fun, yeah, I'll get to go uh, coach against one of my good friends. Uh, mentioned at the beginning, skating down the alley to Cal Marvin's. Well, Izzy was Cal's youngest boy and a grade ahead of me. So we played together and played in the state tournament in 87. Um, and then Izzy's one of his assistant coaches, Derek Comstock, uh, was a sophomore in 88, my senior year. So we went to the state tournament together. Um, and of course it's a small town, right? So <laughs> I'll know a lot of people and, and still, it's been a lot of years, but there's still a lot of familiar names and, uh, yeah, I'm excited that we get to go up there and, and I'm excited for the Orono girls and, and, uh, you know, families, if they want to make that trip to go up and, and see the Warroad rink and meet some of the community and 
it, it's as I talked to you and I talked a lot about uh, at the beginning. It's it was a wonderful place to grow up and and you know fall in love with the game of hockey. So for for this new team that I'm involved with to be going up there, it uh, I think you're right. The stars were aligned and and it'll be it'll be fun and it's not uh, it's not an easy trip to to bus up there, but it's well worth it and we'll get. Uh, We'll get a fun hockey game uh, Saturday afternoon, both the JV and the varsity team. And it'll be actually, the, it's good that it's early in the season too. It'll be good for me and, and the girls just get to know each other. Yeah. Um, we'll yeah. be on a bus, you know, for six, seven hours uh, up there and on the way, the way back. So they'll find out early in the season if they made a mistake or not when they <laughs> <laughs> took me. Yeah. Uh. So I, I got one more question. So I, I've been, um, I do some solo podcasts where uh, we talk about uh, purpose was one. Another one was uh, habits, uh, how to set and achieve your goals. And the one I've been working on now is on leadership. Uh, your career, high school, you wore a C, uh, college you wore a C. You know, what, what, what does leadership mean to you because, and to, in the sport of hockey because, you know, you're the you're going to now be the commander in chief with the Spartans there, and uh, you know, what are you looking out of your lieutenants? What's important to you in a leadership role? Yeah, that's a good question, and I think those are the the podcasts you're doing and those topics are, are awesome, and and they've been a learning experience for me. I continue to learn from you, Pitt. Um, Speaking of captains, you know, you you were a good example. Um, and, you know, what I saw from you and tried to emulate would be, you know, A, doing things the right way. Um, you know, you were always the hardest worker on and off the ice. And, the and, you know, one of the things that impressed me the most, too, was how you included everybody. Um, from day one, it didn't matter if you were the star of the team or, you know, the guy you know, fighting for the spot on the JV team back in the day when we had a JV team at the U of M, um, you know, you treated everybody with respect and you expected everybody to do what you did, which was work hard and, and, uh, you know, be passionate, have fun. So that's what, you know, I, I think that's what I look for too, is, is one, um, is one thing just, you know, I, as a coach need to be prepared come to practice every day with, with a good plan and, um, you know, make sure I'm giving the, the girls the opportunities to be their best and um, helping them achieve, uh, you know, their goals. And, and uh, so from a leadership standpoint, you know, you just look, look to the girls and I think everybody on a team, you know, you, everyone gets that opportunity to be a leader and kind of the, the cream rises to the top. You, you always have a captain uh, that the kids or the coaches select, but there's also other leaders that just naturally rise, right? And they're, they're leaders not because they have a C, but because they work hard and because they're, they're good people and they, they support one another. And so those, those are some of the things I'll be looking for. And I I have been able to meet uh, the captains who were, were named, you know, like uh, before before I got there, but really impressed. Uh, I'll just throw a shout out to the, there's four of them, May Grandy, Grace Bickett, Celia Dahl, and Allie Plyman. Um, just getting to meet those 
young women here this last week or two and kind of see how they're motivated and and uh, just the care they have for the game and they care for each other. It's it's exciting. And, you know, so as a leader, you want to you're kind of driving the bus, like you said. But when everyone's uh, pulling the same direction, um, you know, it's it's easy to do. And and I'm excited. I think we got a good group of leaders and and, uh, you know, the, the, the program is, has been going the right direction. So I'm just I'm just going to try to keep it going the same way and keep having fun and, and try to learn the little things, um, you know, the, the leadership things that, you know, the state tournament, uh, you don't win it in March, right? You, you win it the year before or the summer before. Right now, this is the time of year where you'll see these kids and come and do lessons with you, right? There are some that are just motivated and what can I do? What can I do more? Can I do more? And, uh, you know, you just see that um, this time of the year and, um, you know, you always need a break. Can't be doing it all the time, but just that passion that that kids have and then to, to just steer it in the right direction and, and make sure you're not overtraining or, you know, make sure you're getting your homework done and, and doing all the things outside of the game. But, um, you know, I don't know if I, uh, that wouldn't be a good podcast the way I answered your question, but I'll be listening to, <laughs> I'll be listening to yours, but it's, uh, it's really just getting everyone pulling in the same direction from the coaching staff on down to, to every player. One, uh, you know, and I think one of the things you did too, Lance, from a captain standpoint is you let everyone know everyone's important. Um, even those guys that aren't playing on the weekends, you're still important helping in practice, pushing everyone. If we can all push each other to do our best, it's, you know, that's how we get the best team at the end of the day. Yeah. Well, thank you uh, for those kind words. Uh, very, very nice of you. Um, it's, it's been neat being able to, you know, go back in time and, you know, relive your, your, your life. Uh, so many great messages in there, uh, Larry, and uh, I'm just grateful, like I said, that I was able to, to play with you for a couple years, but I, I know the impact that, that uh, you've made on, on the hockey community here, not only in YZ, but soon to be in Orono is going to be a positive one, and uh, the girls are really lucky to have you out there, Larry, so congratulations on an amazing hockey career and uh, just being a servant to others and continuing trying to grow the game uh, now with with the girls and it's a it's a good game so thanks for being a part of it and being a part of this well thanks for uh, thanks for having me on your podcast it was yeah it's definitely fun to go down memory uh, take a trip down memory lane and then uh, yeah we'll look forward to the next chapter here with with the Orono girls and yeah, again, it's it was fun to visit with you, and yeah, I look forward to continuing to see you at the rink. Thanks again, Big O. Well, that concludes another episode of the Hockey Journey Podcast. I can't thank you enough for stopping by and listening. I hope you enjoyed Larry Olam's Hockey Journey, and if you think there's someone in your circle of family and friends that might like this episode as well, please share it with just one person. It will really help me in growing this hockey community. Again, I appreciate you being here. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, or submit a review. I hope to see you back here soon, and do me a favor, make someone close to you smile today. All the best, my friends.